Praise the Lord. That was great. I don't know how you start off your Sunday, but I typically uh, get in my car and come over here. And on the way over here, I'm listening to, I have a playlist of all the songs that we sing here at the church. So I'm doing uh, worship by song on the way over here. And then uh, it's really cool whenever some of the songs that came on on the way over here, we sing here again today. So uh, it's just, just, I don't know, it just points to the Lord's providence for me, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful, especially the last song, um, really speaks about how, uh, how wonderful it is that, uh, he blots out our sins and that he helps us, uh, where we need help because without Christ, uh, there's no way that we could be forgiven. And in fact, I'd like to say that without Christ, there's no way that we could, um, live this life. We are told in the Bible that, that in him we live, move, and we have our being. So basically everything that we do is a result of, of Christ being there in our lives. We were made for him, and uh, we were made to worship him, and uh, that's what we ought to do with our lives. That is the purpose of our life, and, and that is kind of what the uh, sermon is about uh, it is entitled, Every Hour I Need Thee, and it is from John chapter 13, verses 36 through uh, 38. Let's go ahead and read that and then get into the word. Uh, John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. That is the word of our Lord. Amen. So to uh, set up this sermon I like to bring up the fact that um, for all of us, there comes a time in our lives when we have been overconfident about something. Too overconfident. I mean that in a negative sense. Too overconfident because, and I think I need to say that, that I mean that in a negative sense because in today's world, overconfidence is a good thing. We are taught from, from being a child that we need to be overconfident we need to we need to be confident about ourselves about our abilities we need to believe in ourselves and that is instilled in us as we as we grow up um, but as Christians is that the right thing to think that's what I want to ask you this morning is it good to be overconfident in yourself and your abilities and even to the point where you're overconfident in your possessions so to speak what you have and what you have at your fingertips, what you can use uh, to, to enhance your life. Um, but again, I, need, I mean it in the negative sense to where we have all been overconfident in ourself, in our abilities, and in our possessions. And that equates to arrogance. So at one point or another in our lives, we have been arrogant. In fact, I'd like to say that we were born arrogant. Uh, we were born with the sin nature, and that sin nature... Uh, made us believe that everything belonged to us. Even to the point before we, would a we were able to talk or to communicate, 
we knew one thing for sure. Everything is mine. Right? We knew that for sure. Even before we were able to say it, we knew it was mine. And when it wasn't given to us, we started to cry about it. That, that arrogance was instilled in us whenever we were even babies. But then as we grew, we continued to think that everything was for us, that the world revolved around our lives and that people should think of us first. So much so that we looked at God that way at one time in our lives. We thought, well, God is here for me instead of me being here for God. But praise God that he, that he changed our hearts, he he corrected that in us. He opened our minds to see the truth. And we were able, and now we are able to know that we are here for him. That the purpose of our life is to worship him. But let's back up. We still lived in arrogance. And you know what? We deal with it today. Even today, there are moments in time where we deal with arrogance, where we think about ourselves and our abilities, and we think about our, our possessions and, and we think that that's what life is about. And that's where our security comes from. And that's where our confidence comes from. And when we do that, we are dead wrong. We are dead wrong. Because we lose sight of what God, of, of who God is. And we lose sight of our desperate need for him. We can never, ever take our eyes off of our God. It never makes sense to do that. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that typically we do not realize that we are arrogant or being arrogant about something until we are being humbled by him. I mean, who recognizes their arrogance whenever they're winning? Who recognizes their arrogance whenever things are going well? When things are going well, that chest comes out. And you're like, I, I knew, I knew this was going to work. Or I knew I was this good. You may not say it to anybody, but you're thinking it. You give yourself that pat on the back and you're just so proud of yourself. And we do not recognize it until the Lord humbles us and we look back and we say, man, I was so arrogant. And I realize why now I am being humbled by the Lord See, the Bible teaches us to be humble. But the Bible also teaches us to be confident, not in our abilities, but to be confident in who God is. And to be confident in what he can do. The moment that we stop relying on God and start depending on ourselves is the moment that uh, we start to experience sin and failure. It's that exact moment. Well, today, I want to look at a story, or I want us to look at this story from John chapter 13, verses 36 to 38, and um, Peter is our aim today. We're going to see the arrogance of Peter here in this passage and, and see what we can learn from it ourselves. I think it's uh, important for us to uh, look at this as, as an example for all of us, that we easily fit into uh, this story. 
And we need to be careful not to take our eyes off of Christ at any given time. So as we look at this passage, I, I want us to get the full story. And what's awesome about this story is that it is covered in all four Gospels. And I love when that happens because uh, most of the time they all they, they, they come together to, tell, to give us the complete story. And here in John, there is a, 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 ver, a, not a version, but there is a perspective that is given. This is John's perspective and how he saw it. Mark gives us his perspective. Luke gives us his perspective. And in Matthew, Matthew and Mark kind of line up uh, with this story in particular. But these men who are guided by the Holy Spirit to, uh, to, to write down what they saw, what they witnessed, uh, these men put their perspectives together to give us the, the, the same story, to give us the full story of what happened. So we've already read John uh, verse, uh, verses 36 through 38, chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. Uh, but turn your Bibles with me to Mark. And let's read Mark's perspective of what happened that day with Peter. Mark and we're going to look at uh, verse four, uh, chapter 14, verses 30, excuse me, Mark 14, 27 through 31. Mark 14, 27 through 31. It says, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I, have, I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So that's. Mark's perspective there of what happened uh, that night. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22. Good to have a little Bible drill this morning. Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. Uh, here's Luke's perspective. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. And as I said before, Mark, uh, or excuse me, Matthew is uh, pretty much lines up with what Mark said. So there's no real need to read that. So within those three passages, we have the full story of what happened. And I think it's very interesting because each one covers a different thing. Mark covers the fact that Jesus tells the disciples that once he is stricken down, that means once he is Arrested once he is tried and convicted of a crime.
crime that they placed on him, not one that he committed. Once that, and once he was crucified, uh, that's what being stri- stricken down means or struck down means. Uh, he says they will all fall away and be scattered, meaning they will desert him. And upon hearing this, Peter's reply is, even though they all fall away, I will not. First of all, when you read that, I don't know, I put myself in that setting and I think how, I wonder how the other disciples felt hearing Peter say that. Like they're all sitting there together. Jesus says that they will all be scattered. And Peter's like, yeah, they may all be scattered. But Lord, I'm going to be right beside you. I'm going to be right there with you. It just, I wonder what the reaction was to that when they heard Peter say that. Luke says, and he covers the fact that Jesus tells Peter, Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And to that, Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now, when we look at all three texts, we can see all that Jesus was communicating to them. Jesus was saying that he was leaving and that they could not come. That was in the Gospel of John. He also said that once he was struck down, that they would be scattered. That was the Gospel of Mark. And he also said that the devil will put Peter's faith to the test. That was in Luke. Now I want us to notice that in all of these things that Jesus was revealing to the disciples, Peter was completely confident that Jesus was wrong. See, we don't look at it that way. We just think, well, Peter's being silly or Peter's just being overconfident. But in reality, he thinks that Christ is wrong. Because Christ is saying what will happen, Peter's like, no, that can't be right. I will not fail you. So what happens when, whenever we do not believe God? What happens when we are overconfident in our own abilities? It's the same thing. It's as if we're telling God we know better. That he's wrong and we know better. Instead of listening, instead of taking note, and instead of praying about it, Peter becomes a hindrance to the Lord. And Peter's denial serves as a really harsh realization of our sinful nature. You see, we have to place ourselves here. We're just like Peter. It's not a, it's, it's not a, a far stretch for us. And we have to realize that our sinful nature has a, has a habit of elevating ourselves to a position of prominence and sometimes a that position is over God. And obviously when we do that, we sin against him. There's one thing that is very eye-opening for us and very easy to see here because we're reading, we're reading about somebody else's life, but it is very hard and difficult for us to see about our own life. And the fact is, is that Peter is making these promises, but Peter has limitations. And his limitations were greater than 
his passion. Because you can see he has passion. He's confident. He's not just saying this. He, he means it. That he is not going to fail the Lord. But it doesn't matter how much passion we have. It doesn't matter how much uh, encouragement we build up in ourselves. How much we believe in ourselves. We still deal with limitations. Verse 36. Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Yes, Jesus was speaking about dying on the cross for sins. And this speaks to the fact that it was not Peter's time to die. And this is one of his limitations here. Jesus, Peter's basically saying, where you're going, I want to follow you. I'm going to follow you to death. Well, Peter's limitation is that he is not the one who is the author of life. He is not the one who makes the decision on when he dies. He does not have the authority to make the call on his own death. When Jesus says that he is going to go away and that they cannot follow, it also speaks to the fact that Jesus' death was a higher calling than what Peter could achieve or even think about. Jesus was talking about his death and how he would go to the cross and there was a purpose behind it and that he would go to the cross to pay for the sins of humanity, to pay for the sins of his people. And Peter is sitting there saying, I'm going to go with you. Jesus is basically saying, you cannot go with me. This is for me to do alone because only I am qualified. So Peter was trying to do something that he was not qualified for, that he was not called to at that moment. Yes, Peter would go to his death. And notice the language there that Jesus uses. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. What Jesus was doing and what he was called to do was different than what they were called to do. He was called to die for the sins of God's people. They were called to live a life of worship and to spread the kingdom of God. So Jesus' death was, again, for the cleansing of his people. Only his death would suffice because only his life was perfect. But Peter didn't understand that. Again, he had passion. He had great, great passion, but he also had great limitation. And then Jesus reveals to Peter, you will deny me three times. When we see the word deny here, it means disown. And the fact that it happened three different times, look, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. The fact that it happened three different times asserts that this was no momentary slip of weakness. This was a total failure on Peter's part. And you know what? He needed it. He needed it. This was a form of discipline for Peter. He needed to know that he should not be overconfident in his abilities, in himself, and also in what he had, but that he should be completely confident in whom he served. I think that's a great reminder for us today. 
Listen, we are tempted every single day to live the American way. And the American way is I make my own way. The American way is to be proud of what you have. To be comfortable in your security. In actuality, the American way pushes us away from the Lord. It places us in his spot where we get the glory, we get the credit. Our lives and our abilities become our foundation for life. But that's not what God's word tells us to do. God's word reminds us that everything we have is because of the Lord. See, no matter how much Peter thought that he loved the Lord, when we speak about his limitations, his flesh, it would expose the true nature of his heart. And when we look at Peter's denial here, it shows the weakness in human flesh to obey God. And that's why overconfidence, arrogance, is extremely, um, it's, it's extremely difficult and extremely harmful to our lives. And if it weren't for God, in Peter's sake and also in our sake, we would all be enemies of God. So it is true at one time or another, we have all thought that God was wrong about us, only to find out that no, he was not wrong, but that he was completely right about us. People still battle with God today. There are people who will not believe that they are utterly sinful. They they will not believe that. Well, God's word tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that our hearts are idol factories and that we chase after one idol after another, after another, after another. The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And yet there are people who believe that, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I don't murder. I don't steal. I don't do this. I don't do that. They do not have the understanding of what God's law is saying. And they do not have the understanding of what God's word is saying about them. It's arrogance. And we think, well, the Bible can say what it wants or The pastor can say what he wants, or that person can say what he wants, but I know what I believe. See, we not only do that with that, we do that with a whole lot of different things. And in our arrogance and pride, we have made foolish comments, we have made foolish promises to the Lord that we cannot live up to. Promises that we cannot keep. And we seemed confident that we would not fail only to realize that we could not keep our word or only to realize that we were completely wrong. Why? Because because of sin, our sin nature. We're limited. Our passion might be great about what we believe, but it doesn't change us who we are outside of Christ. We have been unfaithful to him. But thank God despite our unfaithfulness to him, that he has been completely faithful to us. And that's one thing that, as I look at this passage, 
I praise God that we get to see the interaction in the interaction here between Peter and Christ. And as we continue reading, we know what Peter did, but then we also know how Christ responded to that and how he restored Peter. See, because at this point, I think it's important for us to compare and contrast Judas and Peter. Two weeks ago, we went over Judas and we talked about how Judas betrayed Christ. Well, Judas betrayed Christ, Peter denied Christ. But in actuality, I think that they both betrayed him. Yeah, Peter denied him, but it was a betrayal. Because when we look at what it means to betray somebody, I think they both betrayed him because they were both unfaithful in their expression of faith and worship to Christ. They betrayed him in the sense that they sinned against him in one way, form, or fashion. And when we sin against God, we betray him. And that's why it's so ugly. That's why it's so egregious. And that's why we need Christ so badly. But I want us to notice the outcome of of Judas's and also Peter's sin. We know that Judas was not a believer. And we know that he sinned outside the grace of God. And we know the result of that. He ended up he ended up being judged for his sin. Now Peter, he sinned and his sin was just as egregious. He betrayed Christ as well. But his sin was within the grace of God. And we see the end result of that was that he was restored. And in fact, the only reason why Peter survived what he went through was because Jesus prayed for him. And we see that in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. That was one of the passages that we looked at. And Jesus said about Peter that I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That is the only reason why Peter made it through. Because of Christ. And his petition to the Father to sustain Peter through his sin. Well, the Bible talks about Christ being our He is our intercessor. And when we have faith in him, he is doing the same thing for us to the father. Think about what you've been through in your life and how you have sinned against God. Think about the most humble situation you've ever been through. The deepest and darkest time of your life. I'm here to tell you that you didn't make it out of that because you were strong enough. You were able enough. You were smart enough and that you willed your way out. The only way that you made it out was because of Christ. And his petition to the father and his work in his spirit in you. That is the only way that you made it out of that situation. And we see that taking place with Peter. Peter sinned, but it was in the grace of God. He was restored. Judas sinned, it was outside of the grace of God, and he was judged. What does that sound like? It sounds like the end. It sounds like the promise that 
Christ made when he will return. See, there's one thing that all of humanity has in common, and that is that we have all sinned. The difference is some have sinned in Christ and some have sinned outside of Christ. Those who have sinned in Christ will be forgiven of their sins, not because they deserve it, but because what Christ has done on the cross. Those who sin outside of Christ will be judged by their sins because they have not placed their faith in him. So Judas and Peter are prime example of what will happen, what will come. To that I say, trust in Christ. Trust in him. Or else, be judged. Stand on your own abilities. Stand on your own courage, on your own power. And be decimated when the Lord comes to judge you. See, when we look at what Christ has done for Peter, we must recognize that it is true for all of us who are in Christ. We survive and we even thrive in the midst of trials, of tribulation, and sin only because our Lord sustains us. So what does this all teach us? Well, it teaches us that, as the sermon is entitled, Every Hour I Need Thee, it teaches us that we cannot take our eyes off of Christ. But unfortunately, see, this is what arrogance does. Arrogance tells us that we are okay by ourselves. That, yes, God is available to us when we need him, but we only have to go there when we need him. And the day-to-day stuff we can kind of handle on our own. And this is a real problem. This is a real problem because think about, think about, just, let's just think about our body here, our church here. The people who have been in and out, in and out of our church. And I can tell you as a pastor, this is something that we see on the front lines all the time. That when there is a need, people run to the church. They're like, help me, help me, please help me. I I need it. I need prayer. I need the Lord. And they're just asking and begging. And that's good. I'm glad they've they've come to the right place. But the only problem is they've come because there is a need now. They've identified a need at least. But then everything goes back to normal. We don't see them again. They're gone. But I always know in the back of my mind, we'll see them again. Why? Because life is not without trouble. We'll see them again for a season. But then they'll be gone again when they think everything is okay. How does this happen? This happens whenever people take their eyes off of Christ. It happens when they think that they sustain themselves. 
Perhaps you have become too reliant on yourself. Maybe you think too highly of your abilities. Maybe you have found security in your possessions. And that's where your faith lies. Perhaps you have forgotten that in Christ you live and move and that you have your being. See, the result of your arrogance is a burden of worries because that's exactly what happens whenever we put everything on our shoulders. Like Peter, you are not qualified to save yourself and you're not qualified to sustain your life. And as a believer, you must cling to Christ in order to escape the temptations of the devil and to live a life that glorifies God. So what must we do? Well, it's very simple, but yet it's really profound. We need to take advantage of the means of grace that God has given us and not to walk away from them because when we walk away from these things, then essentially we take our eyes off of Christ. So what we must do is that we must continue to read and study his word. Told you, right? Very simple, but yet very profound. This is something we know we must do. But why do we stop doing it? We stop doing it because we fail to recognize the need of it. The Bible is God's word. Let's just think about that for a minute. How arrogant are our hearts when we think we do not need to read God's word? For some of us, the Bible has been on the bookshelf or has been um, on the coffee table, has been somewhere hidden and not open for years. And in that whole time, there's this false sense of security in one's own ability. To me, that's the first sign of an arrogant heart. Someone who, does, who, who thinks they do not need to go to God's word on the daily basis. So we must read, study his word. What else must, must we do? Well, we must serve. That's a means of grace. We must serve. In one form or fashion, we must serve the Lord. You see, because an arrogant heart says, I don't need to serve, I need to be served. God has called us to serve. To serve him by serving one another. We also need to remember that we need to pray. That's another sign of an arrogant heart. Someone who doesn't pray doesn't see a need to. I got everything covered. I'll go pray whenever I need to. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Why? Because there is a need to do that. What else must we do? Well, we must maintain fellowship with his people. We must honor the Lord's day and keep it holy. 
Think about the people that I gave you the example of that come into this church and they're in and out, in and out. They do not establish real fellowship, real communion with God's people. People know who they are, but they really don't know them. They're pretty much a list. They're, they're a name on a list that we're familiar with, but we don't know them very well. Think about how it would be if they had genuine fellowship. They had encouragement and they actually were embedded in the church. Their life wouldn't be like a roller coaster. I'm not saying that hard times wouldn't come, but yet they would preserve in them because they had the fellowship of the saints. As I said before, acknowledging the Lord's Day is extremely important. Participating in the ordinance of the church. All these things that God has given us as a means of grace, this is what we must do on a continual basis. Because through these things, we keep our eyes on Christ. And we push down that temptation to have an arrogant heart and to depend on ourselves. I pray this sermon was a blessing to you, and I pray that God spoke to you through it. I pray that you respond in obedience to him. Father, we give you thanks for your